Thank you for tuning into the second episode of Shore Public Library's podcast, The Shorewood Stacks. I'm Lisa Quintero, young adult librarian. Hi, I'm Nick Barron. I'm a Shorewood patron and an occasional program organizer. In this podcast, we'll be discussing library news, what we've been reading, listening to, or watching, upcoming virtual events, and more. Library news. First off, I'd like to apologize for an error in last week's episode. I said that the library would be reopening on May 24th instead of May 4th. Um, originally, I think I was thinking about the governor's original order, which was supposed to end on April 24th, so I got a little mixed up. But the governor has extended the Wisconsin Safer at Home order until May 26th now, so our opening date won't be May 4th or May 24th, and we are currently working out exactly when that will be. We will keep everybody up to date uh, through all of our communication channels with our new opening date as soon as we've determined it, so keep an eye out. Curbside pickup is coming soon, though, which is very exciting. We are working out the details, and we will be sharing more information on that soon, too. National Library Week starts on April 19th, uh, which is this Sunday, and we'd like to hear from our listeners. Tell us what you miss about the library, or share your favorite library story, and we'll share them on next week's episode to wrap up National Library Week. You can send your comments and stories to shorewoodstacks at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, at Shorewood Public Library, Twitter, at Shorewood Lib, our website, shorewoodlibrary.org, and on Podbean at shorewoodstacks.podbean.com. So Lisa, before we get into what uh, you've been reading, what have you been up to in the last week? Uh, well, I learned how to edit and do all of this podcast stuff. I'd never done a podcast before, so I got uh, online and did a webinar on how to promote your podcast and how to share it on iTunes and Spotify and do all that sort of stuff. And I'm very excited to be able to do this. Uh, I also ordered myself a pair of roller skates. Uh, I haven't <laughs> roller skated since I was 10 uh, and that was over 20 years ago. So I am looking forward to learning how to roller skate again uh, while we shelter in place because got to stay active, you know? How about you, Nick? I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that, too. <laughs> oh, you are. Huh? <laughs> what have you been doing? What did you learn in the last week or so? So in the last couple of weeks, I have been, I'm going to preface this by, say, by saying that uh, I love tabletop games. And most of the programming that I've done at, uh, at Shoreward Library has involved tabletop games. But part of the joy of tabletop games is actually sitting in front of people and having an experience together. And so... Uh, I started learning about uh, a bunch of different platforms that allow you to have a tabletop game experience, but virtually. And so in the uh, in the last few weeks, I was learning about Discord and a variety of other platforms that allow for, for voice chat and sharing images and what have you. And I actually ran uh, my first two sessions of an RPG, a role-playing game. And they both went fantastically well, and it was really nice to connect with people. I ended up ended up running games for uh, old friends that I hadn't seen in years that were on opposing coasts of the United States, and even had a friend from the UK uh, participate as well. And so, you know, learning how to use these platforms has been fantastic, and it gave me an experience that I may not have participated in if uh, the situation hadn't happened. So. Yeah, yeah, no, it's neat how we've found ways to connect with people who, you know, live out of state or who we might not connect with as often and how we're finding new ways to connect from the stacks. So what have you been reading this week, Nick? So last week I said that uh, this week I intended to read, finish reading or 
listen to the Beastie Boys book. And uh, I ended up deciding to download the uh, Beastie Boys book on Libby. And rather than I had already I was already 300 pages into the book. And I made the decision to start over from the beginning, listening to the audiobook. And I didn't quite succeed in getting all the way through the book since I started over. But uh, I've, I've only got like 90 pages to go. But it turns out that there are things that I like about both formats. The book is written the same way that they make albums, like a mixtape. Uh, the Beastie Boys love music, all music. So this only makes sense. Their, their albums would have hip-hop. They pulled from rock and funk and jazz, and they throw in punk songs, commercials, and answering machine messages. The book and audiobook are crammed with short anecdotes, alternating narrators and perspectives, and out of left field asides like playlists, arguments over facts, which is really funny. And they even have a chapter of recipes. That wasn't my favorite, but, uh, but it's there. I had to laugh when the audiobook reached the uh, Sticking to Themes 15 Photos by Spike Jones. They actually had Spike Jones describe the photos and then read the captions. It so genuinely captures just their ridiculous sense of humor. So, Can I ask a question? Yeah. So I know that you were listening to it, and I was overhearing some of it since we share the same household. And uh, there was a story about, was it a business that had... Uh, a recording that was on a message that they ended up buying the recording. Yeah, so this 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 is a ridiculous anecdote. So their second LP is called uh, Paul's Boutique, and Paul's Boutique ended up shutting down like six months after they after they uh, um, put out the record. Paul's Boutique was an actual place in New York that uh, had these ridiculous commercials that they thought were funny. And so they named the record Paul's Boutique. Uh, the record comes out, the, not connected to them uh, having put out the record. The place just, you know, didn't, didn't survive and it shut down. And so MCA ends up deciding that he is going to go through the trouble, even though they lived in LA at the time, of, of buying or acquiring the phone number for Paul's Boutique. And, uh, being that he was in LA and this is the nineties and you didn't share, share phone numbers like that, like you can now. He actually acquired the phone number and then had the phone, that phone number routed to an answering machine in his parents' basement. And he put, um, different messages on that answering machine and people would call Paul's boutique and they would get this answering machine in his parents' basement. And they ended up, um, over time, the messages, uh, people would, would leave messages. And one of those messages actually is on Check Your Head. Um, but it's, it's really just a ridiculous thing. And it just shows their ridiculous sense of humor. But apparently they also had a problem where people were like re leaving like weird and creepy messages. And so periodically MCA would go home to visit his parents. Um, and he would shut the machine off and put it away for six months. And then he'd be like, okay, everything's fine now. And he'd plug it back in. And then the messages would keep coming in. And so this went on for years before he finally unplugged it completely. Yeah, I remember hearing that story and thinking that that was really, really interesting and entertaining. And also who thinks to do that to just, you know, buy somebody's message and, and the phone number to do, to do what they did. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, so. 
for those who don't remember who the Beastie Boys were, they were the band that wrote that song, You've Gotta Fight for the, for Your Right to Party. Also intergalactic. And also intergalactic. But the, the one that most people probably remember is You Gotta Fight for the Right to Party. And um, they went from being these young punk rock kids uh, who, who, you know, had a lot of, a lot of feelings about rock stars and bro culture. And then somehow in a span of a few years, they morphed into everything that they hated and they became these poster boys for bro culture. So they, they go through the process in the book of showing how they grew and anybody that listened to their music for, for years to come, you know, saw that their, that progression and how they grew. But, um, they, they grew up and really it, the book does a really good job of, of showing how they evolved as, as people. So the book is a fantastic journey through their musical history. Um, but they go, they make a point to repeatedly disavow their bro days. Fans of the band, um, know that they did this in songs like Sure Shot, um, which was on Ill Communication and Song for the Man, which was on Hello Nasty. Um, but for those picking this up and they thought, oh, this was that band that wrote that funny song that I thought was cool in middle school or yeah, these guys are idiots. Um, they go way out of their way to apologize. Okay. So I, in the spirit of the Beastie Boys, I'm going to go on a, a little aside of my own. So. One of the uh, chapters, uh, the book goes over each of the different albums that they released, and they, they talk a little bit about each of the records. And one of the records that, uh, one of the chapters, I should say, that uh, is in the book is about uh, Ad-Rock and his feelings on Hello Nasty, which is his personal favorite record. In fact, the chapter breaks down why it should be my favorite record or your favorite record, uh, which is a, a funny way to to approach it. But uh, They shouldn't be deciding what's your favorite record. <laughs> um, but uh, but Ad-Rock is, is biased on, on that, and I'm going to explain why. So uh, And I'm going to also tell you about my favorite record, Check Your Head. So when the Beastie Boys formed, they were actually a punk band um, that started in New York City. And, uh, they, they put out a couple of, a couple of self-released records or records released by, uh, by tiny labels that were, uh, owned by like record store owners and what have you. Um, and so that was, these were not their, their hip hop records. The record that most people know is License to Ill. License to Ill was the song they had Fight for Your Right to Party. They were still, still basically teenagers at the time. And that record, uh, was, them, but they had two producers. They had Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons, and those two producers really kind of steered the direction that they went in. They chose a lot of the a lot of the beats and and really whispered in their ear on a lot of things, um, or just told them this is what you're doing. Uh, and so and they they were young young dudes, so they just kind of rolled with it. Oh, this is fun. And so they realized after uh, Licensed to Ill that they wanted to kind of strike out on their own, and they. They moved to LA and they did a, a record called Paul's Boutique and they did that record with, uh, this duo called the Dust Brothers. And this is considered, Paul's Boutique is their most critically acclaimed record. And the reason being is largely because of the Dust Brothers and their amazing, um, skills at creating beats out of samples from other songs. But at its heart, Paul's Boutique is as much the Dust Brothers as it is them. So the record that they put out after that was Check Your Head. And Check Your Head was a record where they all um, 
the three of them, they rented their, their own studio space. They put in a basketball court and uh, a half pipe, a, a, a skate ramp, so that they could just live and breathe music and hanging out every single day. And so this record really kind of captures that, that youthful enthusiasm without all of the broness. Um, and it was just them just living and breathing music every day. Cut ahead to Hello Nasty, which is Ad-Rock's favorite record. And I remember reading about uh, Hello Nasty at the time. And Ad-Rock really, whereas Check Your Head was this this record of oneness, of, of them all working together and, and being together all the time, uh, Hello Nasty was a record where uh, they kind of did all of the stuff separately because at that point they had already started to uh, have kids and they, they were back living in New York City. And Ad-Rock talks about how he spent a lot of time just hanging out in the studio by himself and creating beats and what have you. And I remember reading about this at the time that it came out, that really a lot of what Hello Nasty was, was Ad-Rock creating a bunch of stuff and then the other guys coming in and showing up and being like, oh, you know, that's cool. And then they add some stuff and then and then that's how they, they built the record. But it wasn't the same like organic, all being together, holding instruments, writing and playing parts. It was more of uh, a person writing something in complete isolation and then presenting it to the other, or not even presenting it to the other guys. They just show up in the studio the next day by themselves and listen to it. And then they would add a couple of things. And so they're two very different writing experiences. And I think Ad-Rock is biased. This is, this is my firm op- opinion <laughs> is that Ad-Rock is biased because Hello Nasty is really mostly him. And so it's his favorite record, but it's his favorite record because I think he had the, the greatest influence in it. And it is his proudest achievement. doesn't say that in the book, but I think it's his proudest achievement because it was so much of him as opposed to Check Your Head, which is just this fantastic organic record. Cool. Yeah, so you um, were listening to a bunch of the records this week, and I know that you don't actually you know own all of them. Um, so how are you listening to them? Ah, uh, yes. So... Uh, I'm going to talk about two different two different uh, uh, library platforms. So the audiobook uh, I listened to on Libby, but Hoopla um, is a, another library platform that uh, you have access to with your library card that has music and uh, and movies. It also has books. It has books as well, <laughs> but strangely, it has almost the entire Beastie Boys catalog, but it does not have the Beastie Boys book. Okay. Um, so. Uh, the only record that was, uh, conspicuously missing to me was a, uh, a record called Aglio Eolio, which is my second favorite Beastie Boys record. But yeah, all, all of the, the known greats, uh, Paul's Boutique, License to Ill, um, Hello Nasty, Ill Communication, and Check Your Head. They're on there. Cool. So yeah, so if you want to listen to any of these while you yourself are reading the Beastie Boys book or listening to it on Libby, uh, you should check the albums out on Hoopla, uh, uh, last I heard, we have still have a checkouts limit for the month of April, and that has also been extended to the month of May since we will still be sheltering in place for the month of May. So what are you planning on reading next? All right. So I am a, a big fan of a, uh, a writer named Naomi Klein. She wrote a book in the early 2000s or mid-2000s called No Logo, and uh, she followed that with a book called The Shock Doctrine, and I, I love both of those books. No Logo talked about uh, the rise of brands and uh, the loss of 
public space that everything is branded and uh, monetized. Yeah, I remember reading that one, and Ember also talked a lot about the the textile industry and and you know sweatshop labor and and fast fashion and things like that. Yeah, for sure. And so it was it was a, a fantastic book, um, very eye opening. And so when she put out uh, the Shock Doctrine, I I followed and uh, picked up that book as well and read that, and that was just a a very intense page turner of the history of something that she terms disaster capitalism, where uh, different different forces, uh, politicians, corporations, uh, the uh, World Monetary Fund or International Monetary Fund and the World Bank apply pressure and take shocks um, where there's natural natural disasters or there's coups or other big things that disorient people and uh, throw throw a nation into uh, or, or a region into disarray and then different uh, different financial ideas, economic ideas um, often pioneered by uh, Milton Friedman Friedman, uh, the economist, the idea of taking these these disruptions and using them as an opportunity to, um, for example, uh, during a hurricane or after Hurricane Katrina, it was an opportunity for politicians and corporations to privatize um, education in New Orleans in the wake of of this this great tragedy. And so she really documents uh, this happening all over the world over the course of 40 years. So Naomi Klein recently released a book called No Is Not Enough, and it uh, expands upon her her theory of shocks and the shock doctrine and applies them to uh the the political climate that it climate that is happening now or in the last couple of years talking about uh how Trump uh keeps people and the media and everything in this constant state of confusion and disarray but it's not just it's not just Trump. She talks about Modi and Erdogan and um, and all of these different different um, nationalist leaders in different countries uh, and how they utilize you know these these shocks in order to implement things and shift the the political environment and political and economic discussion. And so uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to read this book because it is not just about those things happening, but also ways to to also kind of subvert the paradigm that they create and use these as opportunities to also find hope and resistance. Yeah, yeah. I know she's been doing a lot of talks um, recently. I know that you and I have watched a couple about how the shock doctrine might come into play with COVID-19 things around the world, you know, both here in the United States and, and everywhere else and how some things are already starting to happen, you know, where things are becoming privatized or our governments are, you know, overstepping bounds. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it does sound really interesting. And I have not read The Shock Doctrine yet, and I know you've talked about it before to me, and I would like to read it. And I'm, I'm curious about this one as well. And I'm I'm listening to that as an audiobook on Hoopla. Cool. Um, yeah, I know that we have a couple of those at the library. I don't know which one specifically we have um, in, in book form, but you can always check the County Cat catalog and see what we've got at Shored. So what about you? What are you reading? So this week I've been reading Jason Reynolds' book, Look Both Ways. I know last week I'd said that I was going to read a bunch of books, but you know, you know me. Uh, I often 
think that I'm gonna read five books in a week and I only end up reading like one or two. But yeah, Look Both Ways is a children's book by Jason Reynolds. It is a collection of 10 short stories that he wrote in two weeks, he said, at least the first draft. And they are all stories about kids and what happens to them on their journey home from school. He talked about in an interview about how that 15 minutes after school is like one of the only times that as kids we have of complete freedom when we're either walking home or riding the bus home and it's like the only time that we have alone with our friends outside of adult supervision for the most part so he he created all these stories about different groups of, of kids leaving the same school and going home. And the stories uh, can be read in any order. They don't have to be read in the order that they are in the book, except for the very last one has to be read last. So do you have a favorite story? There's quite a few in here that I enjoy a lot, but there are one or two that really stick out to me. I think my favorite is probably the low cuts, which Jason Reynolds said on his Instagram live feed this week is a lot of people's favorite. Uh, the low cuts is a story about a bunch of kids who all have parents who have cancer and they all met in a support group at school. And every day after school, the low cuts go around stealing money from teachers, from their classmates, from businesses. And you know, they seem kind of like these miscreants at first and you're reading the story and you're like, what are these kids all about? And they're kind of mean to other kids because they're taking their you know lunch money and things like that. And uh, as the story progresses, you find out that they're, they're taking all this money so that they can go buy candy from the lady who sells candy on their block after school. And they have 90 cents between all, all four of them by the time the school day is over. And so with that 90 cents, they buy a bunch of penny candy from this woman. And then they take the penny candy from the woman and they do a bunch of mathematical calculations and figure out that they can sell these candies in bundles to other people. And so they go to a pool hall where they sell all the candies in bundles to a bunch of older gentlemen. You know, they have things like Mary Janes and Lifesavers and a lot of the older gentlemen at the pool hall are like, I haven't had Mary Janes in forever, you know? And, and they're just very excited about their old fashioned candy. And so the kids sell them these, these packs of candy that they paid pennies for, for like, I think two or $3. And the adults at first are, are like, you know, two or $3 for, for, you know, five pieces of candy, like that's ridiculous. And the kids, you know, say the same thing that the lady who sold them the candy did, which is as time goes on, prices go up. So it's the cost of inflation. And so the the pool hall guys, after one buys it, they're, the other ones are not to be outdone. So, you know, they buy the rest of the packs from these kids. And the kids end up leaving the pool hall with $9. And when they leave the pool hall, they say, hurry up, we're going to be late. And as a reader, you're like, what are they going to be late for? And they end up seeing an ice cream truck and they chase down this ice cream truck because it's starting to pull away from the curb as they're walking up to it. The kids go up to the ice cream truck and they turn to one kid and are like, what are we getting? And that kid says, we're getting four vanilla soft serves. And the ice cream truck man says, with sprinkles? And all the other kids look at the one kid and the kid nods and says, yeah, with sprinkles. And so they all get their vanilla soft serves with sprinkles. And after the, the ice cream truck leaves, the, or ask, uh, they pay the ice cream truck guy, uh, I think he says, you know, it's eight bucks and, and they give him $9 and he's like, well, you know, here's your dollar back. And they're like, oh no, keep that, that's for you, that's for you. And so then they, they walk back to one of the kids' houses and when they get there, the kid's mom opens the door and is like, oh, you know, how are you all doing? Like, how was your school day? And, you know, they all say, it was fine, you know, like most kids do when they get home. And the one kid, his name's Bit, he asked his mom, you know, how was chemo today? Because we find out that her cancer 
um, was back and she says, you know, it wasn't, wasn't so good and that she's feeling a bit uh, nauseated. And so he says, I figured that might happen. And so he and his friends all said, you know, we brought you ice cream because we thought you might be hungry. And so that, that story was just very, very heartwarming. And, and it was just interesting to see the complexities of people because at the beginning of the story, you think like these kids are like bad kids are stealing stuff from other kids and they're doing this, you know, at the end of the story, you're like, you know, they did it for, for good, you know, and is, it was really heartwarming. And Jason Reynolds this week has been doing live readings of a bunch of the stories from the book, and I've been listening to a bunch of them, and he's been giving a lot of backstory on the stories, and I didn't know a lot of, a lot of stuff about him personally, and apparently he uh, said that a lot of these stories are based off of things that happened to him as a child, and that some of the people in that story and in other stories are real people that were in his life, and apparently when he was a child, his parents had cancer, and he was part of a group like this group, and um, it was just... His stories are just very real and very... They show that people are complicated? They do show that people are complicated. They, they, just, they just touch on what childhood is and what it, is, it means to grow up and, and what, what we experience as we do so. And, you know, they're just very true to life. And, you know, he manages to write these characters who are both innocent and not and his stories are just are just great um he obviously leaves me speechless sometimes <laughs> hey we'll be able to edit that out <laughs> also uh this is gonna be a little late but spoiler warning <laughs> um so yeah beyond that uh i also liked his story that he read this week called Five things easier to do than Simeon's and Kenzie's handshake. And that one actually made me really emotional, too, because that one he talked about at the end about how these kids do this very elaborate handshake in the story. And, and you know, and they get in trouble for doing this handshake at school because it's very elaborate and, and it dis disrupts class and everything. And at the end of the story, he talked about how the handshake is actually American Sign Language for I hear you even when the rest of the world doesn't. Um, and that just was a really powerful message, especially with what the rest of the story is about. And he talked about a lot of how, you know, black youth uh, are typecast into, you know, into the idea of like, when you grow up, you're not going to amount to too much of anything, you know. And a lot of these young boys that are seen as kids as being troublemakers are going to, you know, quote unquote, are going to grow up to be on the front page of the news as a bad headline. And... A lot of these stories are about how black youth are so much more than than that and how our experiences as children are universal in a sense and how we all get up to shenanigans when we're kids and we all do dumb things and we all love to spend time with our friends and, and the stories just really show what, what that's like, especially in middle school, because the story the stories all take place, they're all from a middle school. But um yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it, and I'm so glad that he read a lot of his stories out loud on Instagram this week. Um, they're very powerful, and he is just an amazing writer. Very good. So what are you going to be reading next? Um, so I actually started another book also this week. I started listening to Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning on Libby. Oh, and I forgot to mention uh, the Jason Reynolds book. Uh, the library owns a hard copy of it, but it is also available on Libby as both an ebook and 
audiobook. So uh, it is something that you would have to put on hold because it currently has a waitlist on it, but just wanted to share that. But yeah, uh, so in the always available section, uh, I found Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, and it just seemed like a timely read. Frankl was a lo well-known logotherapist who was interned at concentration camps during World War II, and this book is about his observations of human psychology and how being a prisoner in the camps affected people, um, and how people who survived were different from people who did not survive and why and what you know was different about them psychologically obviously you know there's a lot of difficult subject matter discussed in the book and he tr tries to leave out a lot of details because there's been so many accounts of the holocaust that he feels like he's not there's so much to share the individual atrocities as he is to talk about how people persevered and how they were able to to survive and so it's obviously our our current situation is nothing like that but you know in a time of uncertainty in a time of of a lot of fear and a lot of um sadness i think you know a lot of people are struggling and this book kind of helps people understand the the deeper things in life that keep us going and the things that we shouldn't take for granted and the things that we should keep in mind as we go day to day, you know, during this time or any other difficult times in our lives. Um, and I think it's, it's a good, good reminder of, of being grateful for, for the things that we do have. Sure. Virtual events. Art Cart Online. We know you miss our weekly art cart, and we miss you. Starting Wednesday, April 8th, Miss Susan will post instructions for fun art projects that you can make at home. Check our calendar and social media pages for instructions every Wednesday. Our website is shorewoodlibrary.org. Join New York Times bestselling author Kelly Yang on Instagram Live, at KellyYangHK, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 2 to 2.30 p.m. CST, Central Standard Time for free online writing classes for teens. Starting this week, several publishers are offering virtual book festivals. Yeah, um, we actually created a blog post about this on our website that you can check out at shorewoodlibrary.org. Starting on April 20th, uh, the novel Couch Fest is occurring. Uh, enjoy five days of author events, giveaways, and of course, team novel. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram for Couch Fest content. They will be doing uh, advanced reader copper giveaways and special password promotions from favorite authors. Also starting on April 20th is the WB Reader Fest, and that goes through April 25th, a week-long celebration of books, authors, and readers. Join them on Instagram and Twitter starting Monday for exclusive author chats, chances to win books, and a peek behind the scenes with Wednesday Books editorial and marketing teams. Starting on April 25th, and this is a one-day fest, is the Social Distance Book Fest, a full day of panels featuring authors and booktubers, as well as exciting giveaways and more. Also starting April 25th and going until April 26th is Y'all Stay Home Book Festival, a virtual young adult literature festival featuring giveaways, contests, special events, and two full days of panels with 70 best-selling award-winning authors. Also on April 25th and May 3rd is the Newburyport Literary Festival, which describes itself as a celebration of literature, readers, and writers featuring readers and readings and discussions of both fiction and nonfiction adult titles. And finally, 
going from April 30th until May 3rd, is the Festival of Literary Diversity, which is taking place in Canada. Uh, it is Canada's first festival for diverse authors and storytellers. The Festival of Literary Diversity provides a one-of-a-kind program and event that engage readers, inspire writers, and empower educators by highlighting important and underrepresented voices. For more details on these book fests, visit our library website at shorewalibrary.org. Uh, if you click on each of the links for the names of the festivals, you can find their schedules and information on how to register for panels and things like that. Uh, some of them are pretty exciting. It looks like they're going to have virtual signings, and the way that works, it sounds like you order your book from a book company that they have a partnership with, and then the authors will sign a book plate and personalize it for you, and then they would mail it to you, which is, you know, an interesting idea to deal with the way that we're doing things right now for sure. um, and how we're social distancing. So I think it's really cool that they found ways to still have book festivals, because a lot of book festivals got canceled, and this time of year is it's really big for the book publishing industry, and so it was, it was sad to hear that a lot of them got canceled, but I'm glad that these people are continuing virtually. Uh, I'm actually personally very excited for the Social Distance Book Fest, because that one focuses on a lot of young adult literature, as well as the Y'all Stay Home Fest, because um, once again, I'm the teen librarian, so that's a lot of stuff that I read and, and enjoy, um, and I, I'm also, you know, always trying to find new stuff to share with the teens. And I'm also really interested in the Festival of Literary Diversity that's being hosted in Canada. Um, I was looking at some of the panel discussions that they have, and they look like they'll be very informative. This podcast has been submitted to iTunes and Spotify, and we are currently waiting for approval. If you're a Podbean user, you can subscribe to our channel at shorewoodstacks.podbean.com. If you have any questions or comments for the podcast hosts, email us at shorewoodstacks at gmail.com. In honor of National Library Week next week, we'll be talking to a familiar voice or two, so stay tuned. Until then, thanks for listening, and be well. The Shorewood Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Nick Barron, with music by Kevin McLeod. The title of this song is Ice Flow, and can be found on Incompetech.com.